BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky <laughs> show for Thursday, June 2nd. Is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago, where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink, what kind of pond to smoke, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. That is correct. Oh, yes, it is correct, Darren <laughs> Bailey. Chicago Reader, ChicagoReader.com, and if you want to help out this program, you can. ChicagoReader.com forward slash Jarofsky, J-O-R-A, V as in victory, S. K-Y. Reefer time coming up, everybody. Did you know that Illinois has an average monthly revenue of over... You know what? I think there's a shorter ad of this. I'm going to read this one. Edit. I'm going to edit right here. Okay, here we go. Uh, Illinois has an average monthly revenue of $100 million from recreational cannabis sales, and Chicago has 44 cannabis dispensaries. That makes Chicago the perfect place for the Illinois Cannabis Convention, June 10th through the 11th. It's brought to you by NECAN. It will showcase over 100 companies, brands, and product lines, and feature dozens dozens of expert speakers with practical knowledge and advice for attendees of all levels of experience. All are welcome. Go to NECAN.com slash Illinois, N-E-C-A-N-N.com slash Illinois for information and to register. It's Thursday, June 2nd. And this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, Black Harvest Film Festival director, the one, the only, Sergio Mims. And now your host, oh baby, oh man, he's doing a dance, he's feeling it, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarosky here. We're calling this. What are we calling this? I don't even know what we're calling. Oh, 1980s Thursday. And here's what. It's 1980s every day over there. <laughs> no. Oh, 70s. I'm a 70s Sorry. guy. 70s. I'm a 70s guy. You're you're kind of an 80s guy. I hate to say it. Kind of an 80s guy. You really came of age in the 90s. But the reality is, is that you were looking back. This is one of those old souls. You know, we got old soul. Old soul is a young guy who's like, Born too late. You know what I'm saying? For where he should be. So you're like a really, you're like, your thing is the 80s, man. You love the 80s, even though you're a 90s guy, really owes. And uh, me, I'm 70s, man. Everybody knows it. Total 70s, love the 70s, everything about the 70s. But anyway, I'm having an 80s vibe today for a couple of reasons. Uh, the big reason, the political reason, the like the related to the podcast show reason uh, is that uh, Rod Sawyer, alderman of the uh, sixth ward, uh, let it be known that he will indeed be running for the mayor of the city of Chicago. He will indeed be running for mayor. That is correct. <laughs> and uh, so I want to give a shout out to Frank, uh, dear friend of the show, who was at first Tuesdays last month. By the way, we're going to have a first Tuesdays next month. Yes. I really do believe D that uh, I will be <laughs> testing a negative. 
I'll be wearing like, don't worry, ladies and gentlemen, at this first Tuesday, I'll be wearing like masks, hazmat suits, whatever. You know, I'll be, I'll protect you from me. Uh, but I'm feeling stronger every day to quote Dennis's favorite group, Chicago. And um, so uh, anyway, Frank, the first when we had Rod Sawyer and we had uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa on the stage. We we're talking about the ward map. Fascinating discussion, if I must say so myself. Uh, and first question. Well, no, the, literally the first question, Timmy Tutton, Katie Tutton. I uh, said, what about how come uh, the hideout is uh, and Lincoln Yards is still in uh, Brian Hopkins ward? And we started complaining. And by the way, it worked. A couple of days later, an announcement was made. A deal was cut on a new ward map. And guess, guess what? Lincoln Yards and the hideout were moved out of the uh, second ward, put in the 32nd ward. So, folks, you got something that's bugging you? You come the first Tuesdays. Ask our guests. It'll get done. You know, it reminds me, D. Oh, I feel a newsletter coming on. <laughs> it reminds me of the old days. The mayors would have budget here. Mayor Daly would do this. We don't, the, the mayors today don't have budget. It's too busy and important to meet with the little people. But in the old days, there would be a budget hearing uh, every, uh, what's like August, right before the, 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 the city would officially release it, the mayor would officially release the budget. What a joke. The whole thing was a freaking joke. But I enjoyed it. You go to a budget hearing, they give you little trinkets, like pencils and erasers and pieces of paper and stuff and keychains. Oh, my God, keychains, D. I had so many budget keychains. Oh, I can see why you voted for Dan Biss, by the way. <laughs> Sounds like the nerdiest event ever. Oh, they give you pencils. <laughs> I voted for Dan. By the way, I got a Leticia Wallace update. Uh, thank you. So much to talk about today. But anyway, in those old days, so there would be the budget hearing. The mayor would be sitting there. The mayor would have Mayor Daly. This is the mayor. The real mayor. Okay? Mayor Daly. Uh, mayor Daly would have all, all his cabinet members sitting on either side. It was like the uh, the last dinner, last supper, whatever the famous painting is with Jesus and his disciples. That's what it would be like. And they'd be sitting down. He'd be in the middle of the table and all the others <laughs> would be dutifully listening to the people. The people would step to the mic and they would have they would make a comment. You could, you, it was like a talk show, D. You were calling in, only the host was not some old hippie guy. It was uh, Mayor Daly. And then you would complain, and, oh, I'm going to get take care of that. And that's what it was like at the hideout. So you had Carlos and Rod Sawyer and Timmy Tutton and Katie Tutton get up and start complaining about their the fact that they're in the, 30, uh, the second ward, not the 32nd ward. Boom, we got taken care of. It's like pl- paving a pothole. <laughs> What a city, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, the second question after they took care of uh, Tim and Katie uh, was Frank's asking Rod Sawyer, are you going to run for mayor? And Rod did a duck and a dodge and a ham and a haw. But he kind of let us know that, yeah, maybe I will be running. Uh, Something I'll be thinking about. And so here we are a month later. We're about to have another first Tuesday. And he announces that he's running for mayor of the city of Chicago. And, um, the picture on the front page of the, my beloved bright one shows Rod Sawyer with his dad, Eugene Sawyer. Eugene Sawyer was mayor of the city of Chicago in 1989. Everybody knows that who listens to this show because everybody knows who listens to this show that every Wednesday Monroe comes on, Monroe Anderson, and talks about the fact that he was, um, he was the press secretary uh, for Eugene Sawyer way back when in 1989. I have very fond memories of Mayor Eugene Sawyer uh, I thought he did a, a good job. You know, my favorite, everybody knows this. I don't hide it. Harold Washington, greatest mayor of the city of Chicago ever had. Anybody with a brain will tell you that. Uh, and after that, it's downhill. 
you can argue like <laughs> like between Mayor Richard M. Daly or uh, Mayor Rahm and uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, like which one's worse? You could, I had, McDumpkey and I spent about an hour doing that on Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. You talk about nerds. Uh, and uh, <laughs> on the phone, D, with my COVID. Well, I think you could make a case that uh, this one's the worst mayor. But uh, I would say that uh, Eugene Sawyer, he, he uh, really did his best, in my humble opinion, uh, just to uh, be a decent guy. Uh, Sergio Mims Jones is going to bring him on in a little bit. He's not uh, – let me just finish my thoughts here. Uh, so, uh, anyway, that's a blast to the past. Uh, you, Rod Sawyer is now officially throwing his hat into the ring. He's going to be running uh, to get the seat that his father had uh, and uh, trying to trade in on that Sawyer name. There are some people. In the city of Chicago, I know there's a lot of youngsters out there of the millennialistic persuasion who have no idea who uh, Eugene Sawyer is. But, you know, anybody over the age of like 55 probably remembers uh, Eugene Sawyer. So there's a good chance there will be some just, what is that, attraction to the past, that 80s thing, that 80s thing's going. The other point I was going to make about the 80s, uh, house music turns out is huge. I wasn't even in the house music. House music was like a post seventies thing came out in the late seventies and, and was really raging in the eighties. But I was talking to DJ Nate about this, uh, who is the producer of the weekend shows and he's a DJ and he says the hottest thing going right now, the thing that he's requested to do. And, and DJ Nate, you should know this is millennial ladies and gentlemen. So this is not his generation's music. They had to learn it and master it. House music. Everyone wants a house music party. And that just blew my mind. House music, man. The 80s is coming back. Rod Sawyer running for mayor uh, with his connection to Eugene Sawyer, mayor in 1989. House music. Uh, it's all coming together. Uh, and I also want to make one last point before I bring on the great Sergio Mims. Uh, last night, uh, we recorded a, um, a great evening, in my humble opinion, a political talk with Keena Collins, uh, who's running for Congress in the 7th Congressional against Danny K. Davis, and Leticia Wallace, who's running for an open seat in the 17th Congressional District, two progressive uh, Democrats, uh, running without party support. We talked a lot about that. Without party support. Uh, and uh, it was, I thought, a very uh, interesting conversation. Uh, they, uh, they spoke from their hearts, and we recorded it. We're going to drop it on uh, Monday, so if any folks missed it last night, um, they can hear it, the recording. The one opportunity I had, and Frank, this again, thank you for this. You sent me this text. Uh, it was a text that, um, of something that David Axelrod the political strategist uh, who's the brains behind Richard M. Daly and uh, Barack Obama. Uh, although I got to come to realize that probably Barack Obama was his own brains. Uh, but so we were talking last night about uh, Abaldi and uh, the fact that the police did not rush in uh, to uh, stop the shooting while it was happening. They waited. And uh, how shocking that is on many levels. And, you know, as a society, we're sort of confronting that issue. Like, what does that mean? What does that say about our dependence on law enforcement officers? Uh, what does that say about our belief that if the good guys are armed with guns, uh, we can, like, protect ourselves from the bad guys? And uh, so the take that David Axelrod had uh, was he put this out on Twitter, and I wouldn't have known about it, but Frank sent it to me, so thank you, Frank. Uh, the inexplicable heart-wrenching delay in Abaldi underscores the indispensable role of police. So I read that last night to Keena Collins, and ladies and gentlemen, she went on a riff. 
and urge everybody to check it out. She did not uh, abide by that at all. And it gets at the heart of this like divide in our country, particularly our Democratic Party. It's like half the Democratic Party just wants to pretend as though like all these years of police abuse in black communities, like the black community of Chicago, right around where Sergio Mims lives, didn't exist. And it's really disheartening. Uh, in many ways, it's like we're never going to make any progress if we just pretend things don't exist. Two separate worlds. Incredible spin by David Axelrod there. That is just democratic spin out of control. Uh, interesting to hear what Keena Collins and Latisa Wallace uh, had to say about that. So I'm dropping that on Monday. You can hear for yourself. All right. Without further ado, we're going to bring on uh, the pride and joy of Hyde Park. The Renaissance man, as we like to call him on the Ben Jarofsky show, because he knows a little bit about everything, a lot about some things, movies. I don't know if we're going to take the deep dive on movies, although it's really hard not to with Sergio Mims. I always say he's the most knowledgeable man when it comes to movies of any man in the universe. Uh, but he also follows politics. He uh, is an expert on classical music. Uh, and he knows all things Chicago, particularly Hyde Park, and he's extremely prejudiced on behalf of his beloved South Side, which he thinks is somehow or other morally superior to the North Side, even though I try to tell him all these years, they both suck. Anyway, without further ado, <laughs> Sergio Mims defending Hyde Park. Welcome back, Sergio. By the way, it's been a while. How you been doing? But how you been doing? You look good. You sound good. Thank you. Um, yes, I've been uh, fighting the COVID and I'm very proud. I've had COVID for o- over a week. And I'm very proud of the fact that I only missed one show, only one segment, uh, Sergio. Last week was a lot harder than this week. Uh, I've really learned to enjoy and appreciate tea with honey. Um, mm-hmm. I'm consuming some as we speak. I don't know uh-huh. why I didn't know about this before I had COVID. So it's one of the few benefits of having COVID. It's helped me get through. What I do is like the whole day is mustering the energy to do the show. And then the rest of the day is <laughs> collapsing, having done the show. And I have three tapings today. So it's really going to be uh, an interesting challenge for my body. But I've been surviving. I've been surviving, Sergio. And I just urge you. You haven't had it yet, have you? No, as a matter of fact, I took a test last week. I mean, we get COVID tests in the house, right? And it, it, negative. So, yeah. Well, let's okay. Ha- let's I, ha- I will tell you, mm-hmm. talk about Southside. You know, I did this thing for the Turner Classic Movies Film Festival in LA last month. And uh, they flew me in. They they sent a car to my house, um, put me up in a very, very nice hotel. This is the big, you know, TCM Turner Classic Movie Film Festival they do every year. They've been doing it now for 10 years. It's the first time they, in two years they did it in person at three theaters on Hollywood Boulevard and um, also Multiplex. And uh, I was asked to introduce them with a, pit, with a couple of films. And um, the first night I did it, when the person was introducing me, mentioned Chicago. So you get applause, some people applaud in the audience, some Chicagoans. So I said to the people, I said, hey, how many people here from Chicago? Some people, you know, applauded. And I said, how many people here from the South Side? One person. 
One person applauded. And I suspect those people who applauded, they probably were from Valparaiso <laughs> or, uh, you know, Elk Grove Village or Glenview <laughs> or Hammond, you know, not real Chicago. Yeah. That's what I suspect. Naperville. Well, Naperville. listen, listen we'll, I mean, let's just take this trip. I've never understood this ever. I'm not from Chicago and I'm like, wouldn't even say I'm from Chicago uh -huh. uh, because of what I know about Chicago and having studied Chicago and lived here. So I'm just not from Chicago. And I think Chicago is a weird place filled with people who behave weirdly. And it shows in their political responses, electing the same people over and over again. Who uh -huh. apply. We're going to get into the casino. We're going to get into the casino. Don't worry. I know that's what you, you want to talk about. I want to talk about the casino as well. So this thing about people who are like from Naperville, that when you ask them where they're from, they say they're from Chicago. I don't understand it. I've never understood. Why did you say you're from Naperville? What's right. the matter with being from Naperville? There's nothing wrong with being people in Chicago work hard their whole life, save their money, Sergio, so they can move to Naperville. <laughs> Your right. kids are ashamed to say they're from Naperville. You're from <laughs> Naperville. There's nothing wrong with it. Say it. Go ahead. Say it. I think some guy like there's famous rock stars are from Naperville and stuff, but even those rock stars will go up from Chicago. <laughs> the reason, you know, music is because you went to a public school system that had music. Okay. Chicago public schools. Why would you be proud of being from Chicago? They, there's such a barbaric city. It won't even support the arts in its public schools. Since you were there at Kenwood back in the day, Kenwood had an art program. They I sure did. They had a music program run by Lena McClain. When you said that first, I thought Lee Anita McLean, but no, totally two different people that you caught yeah, me off guard when you said that. Right. Uh, and um, uh, uh, Manny Patinkin, isn't he from uh, Kenwood High School? He uh, sure did. He went to yeah. Kenwood. He sure did. He Your sure age, did. Maybe a year older. And and so it's like, but Sergio, it's not 1970s anymore in the Chicago public schools. There's no there's not a systematic art program in the Chicago public schools. So this is just part of it. Like I struggle. with Why do people feel ashamed about being from Naperville and want to say they're from Chicago while we have the Republican candidates going around campaigning that Chicago is a hellhole that should be avoided? Please help me understand this psychological divide. Therapist Sergio Mims. Well, you know, whenever and, you know, after the shooting in Texas, you heard the governor of Texas and people saying, well, look at Chicago. Look at Chicago. We're always Chicago is always the whipping boy. It's always the bad place. You know, and I also I suspect it's a nice way of saying, look, you got all those black people up there. Look what they're doing. That's really what it's come down, what it, what it comes down to. You know, you have these uh, people who are running for governor for on the uh, Republican ticket, and um, they clearly like to say, they're clearly saying, you know, look, um, these problems that are going on in Chicago is because you got all those people of a different hue up there. You know, if I'm governor, I'm going to build a wall around the city and make sure that. <laughs> and, and, and also the whole thing is that they like to say that Chicago has too much influence in state politics. So therefore, in, a, in the city, I mean, in the state. So therefore, 
I'm really more concerned about the people who live downstate in central Illinois. These are my real people. Now those people in Chicago. Um, you remember, I think, wasn't there a point at one time they wanted to make Chicago like a 51st state? Some people tried to. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, there was a moment. Darren Bailey, uh, who is running, is right now second in the polls to Richard Irvin, uh, the uh, mayor of Aurora. One of the oddest candidates I've ever seen run statewide would get into that, too. I was part of a group of legislators uh, who said they wanted to separate downstate from Chicago. Yeah. Okay. They're still around. Okay. Yeah, they're still around. And he now he acts like it was a joke. It's so weird. You know, this propensity of right wingers, MAGA people to, to say and declare what they believe. And it's really offensive. And then when they're called on it, they go, oh, I was just joking. Yeah, I know. Let's own the lips. Gee, listen, what what can we do? It's you said it once. It goes back to high school. It's high school. It's very much high school. You know, I, every time I these guys, and it's usually guys, other uh, women too, like you know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green. I always imagine that in high school, they couldn't be part of the jocks because they weren't athletic enough. Uh, they weren't artistic. And and those people were, you know, gay people, funny. Um, they wanted to be the cool ones. They want to be part of the cool group. Everybody wanted to be part of the cool group. The cool group wouldn't want them. They wouldn't. They wouldn't get. They couldn't get near the uh, cool guys. The cool people in high school. And they've always resented that. They've always always resented that that they couldn't be what they were. Unfortunately, they had to you know, do a job after school. Their father was a drunk who beat them, you know, at, at home. You know, mother was, you know, popping pills. They had this miserable life and they looked at the cool kids. Everything was perfect for them. They went to college. You, you'd be surprised how many um, Republican politicians like to go after people who went to college. They make all these anti-college graduate remarks. Well, he sounds like a college graduate. Yeah. I think he should have worked for a living because he wanted to go to college. He couldn't get in. So um, it goes back to high school. It really does. It's not simplistic, but and, and look, who was the guy who ran? Uh, what was his name? Uh, Larry Elder. Oh, when yeah. Larry Elder ran against... Um, a Newsom for the recount. Yes. And he had a TV commercial where you had this guy, this dream looking guy, and I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. And the guy says, I hate Gavin Newsom. He looks like the kind of guy who stole my girlfriend in high school. That was a real commercial. <laughs> I did not know that. That was a real. Wow. I saw it. I saw it. That was a real commercial. Yeah. Those are people who still have resentment. They have anger. All these guys who are with anger issues because, look, your life is perfect. You're a white guy. Your life is perfect. There's no replacement. Nobody's coming in to replace you. Okay? You still run shit. Is it right? You know? So don't be afraid that you're going to lose something. There's some, like one, one day you're going to come home and find you, you find your wife in bed with a black guy. It's not, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that was quite a riff. Uh, you ended up uh, with a white woman in bed with a black man. Uh, <laughs> that's like uh, Blazing Saddles or something. Uh, by the way, one of the 
it, it stands the test of time, in my humble opinion. I think you agree with me. Blazing Saddles stands the test of time. Do you and it's a movie you probably couldn't make today. Uh, well, could you? I don't could know. You, I, you know, you, last night, last night, I was watching for the 928th time Animal House. Yeah, speaking of movies, it stands test of time. Yes, go ahead. Which is still one of, and there are jokes today you can't, there are jokes you can't do today. You just can't do it. I still laugh at them. You can't do it. Well, you're you're a 70s person, so it's just, what, a millennial wouldn't laugh at them. All right, you raised Larry Elder. I had raised Richard Irvin. Uh, and I, I, I'd like to get your oh, thoughts. Urban, on this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've been thinking, I've been thinking a lot about this. And last night when we were, I was talking, we had a conversation, uh, we were talking politics with the Leticia Wallace, who's running for Congress, uh, uh, and Keena Collins is running for Congress. And we just started talking about white people voting uh, for black candidates. And I was saying that there has been a profound change in my lifetime that when, uh, I moved to Chicago in the eighties, the rule of thumb, the conventional wisdom, and Sergio, you know this because you and I are the same generation. We know what we came up with. We know what the real the, the worldview was. White people won't vote for a black person. So if you wanted to get elected citywide as a black person, you only had there could not be any other black people in the uh, in the election because that would split the vote. And the same thing with whites. They mm-hmm. just had to be one black person. One white person, because that's all Chicago can handle. It would blow their mind for like a white person going to vote for a black person. Are you kidding me? Mind blown. And then I said, uh, Tony Preckwinkle ended that, in my humble opinion, in 2010, when she ran for Cook County Board President in the Democratic primary. Uh, there were three black people in the well, race. I, I would argue how Washington did get a significant number of white votes. He got white votes, particularly up on the um... north side. <laughs> come on, say it, say it. You know what? Well, come no, on, say it. it's no, going to kill no, him to what, say it. What, what, was, what I was going to say was up like, like the Lincoln Park. You know, you won't Lake say Park. north side, ladies and gentlemen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you won't you say know, it. Howard Washington did. He could have been. He could not have been elected. I don't think he could have been elected with also with, without significant white support. Yes, you're correct. You're well without some white support. Uh, he never got. I don't believe he ever got more than twenty percent. But I, my point what did is, he get, what did he get when he ran the second time? He was dis, He got disappointed. Did he get more. What, he, no, he must okay. have more. I remember this very well. I remember because yeah. I did an interview with him uh, afterwards, and he was uh, disappointed. Uh, so. The 87 re-election of Harold Washington was significantly different, your point's well taken, than the 83 because there wasn't the fear that drove in 83 before it's too late, 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 late. But yeah. we had in 87, if you remember, all these white Democrats positioning themselves so they would get a one-on-one shot with Harold. Again, they, the conventional wisdom is that if you have two white people in the race, Harold would win because the white vote would be split. So mm-hmm. Eddie Verdoliak ran as an independent. Jane Byrne ran against him in the Democratic primary. So this was Harold did not get as, as a percentage. He got uh, roughly the same percentage of vote from the white wards. But there wasn't that fear. Do you follow what I'm saying? So yeah. he, he was a little disappointed. He goes, I would have expected everything I did showing how fair I was as a mayor which he was, you know, the, he was by far the most fair mayor we've ever had. Right. He, get a, he, he didn't get it. 
it's like those that hatred you know what i'm saying that tribalistic feeling uh, sergio that you know so well because you grew up in chicago was like so embedded in the brains of chicagoans they couldn't break free they couldn't be liberated you know and so uh but i believe that it's diluted over time is my point so you must believe that don't you agree that the city is a little more open-minded today than it was when you were a kid growing up well, in first chicago? of all you know but the older people are no longer here. Um, we have, I would like to see the percentages, but we have a younger generation and particularly a younger generation that didn't grow up <laughs> under the first mayor daily or the second mayor daily, or didn't you write that article about someone who had never heard of daily? Yes. Right. And I was obsessed with that story for a while. Yes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, when I remember when I read that story, I was like, you got to be kidding me. And I go like, what? And I go like, well, maybe I guess younger people really don't know about because he was, they were so much part of our lives, so much a part of our lives. And, you know, of course, there were people in between like uh, Belandic. And of course, it was Jane Byrne. And um, for the brief moment, there was, uh, you know, uh, let's see if you can do this. Oh, gosh. You know, Monroe's friend. <laughs> I just said Eugene Sawyer. Eugene Sawyer. <laughs> yeah. Rod Sawyer running for mayor right now. Uh, his son from the Sixth Ward just announced he's running for mayor. Front page of the Chicago Sun-Times. When was Look. it? Today? Today? Yeah, you missed the opening of the show. Look. See that? See the headline in the Sun-Times? Like father, like son. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, maybe Monroe will give him a call. Uh, Monroe already called me this morning. He was very excited. Uh, <laughs> he was? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm he gonna was very excited. Right <laughs> I'm going to call him up right after we finish. Okay. Yeah, he was very excited. Uh, and um, that uh, his, Rod Sawyer is uh, running for mayor of the city of Chicago. I listen. So I, but so now we have another phenomenon. And I'd love to get your thoughts on this. And this phenomenon I've, is. I've been watching it develop that uh, black Republicans are invaluable to MAGA as candidates because they established that MAGA and this is MAGA putting it is they're not uh, prejudiced. They're not racist. Mm -hmm. And so they will support Larry Elder, who you just mentioned, who was one of the most said some of the most insane things I've ever heard a candidate say. They will support Herschel Walker. I don't know if you've been following Herschel Walker's senatorial. I try not to, but um, I have I I can't resist. Um, He is an absolute embarrassment. I mean, he makes Amos and Andy look like Malcolm X and uh, Marcus Garvey It's just amazing. Um, <laughs> Hold on. I have to say the views and opinions of Sergio Mims do not necessarily reflect the Ben Jarofsky show. I love my guest freeway, MAGA. Come on. First Amendment rights, free expression. Okay, go ahead, Sergio. Finish your thought. Um, and then you have Irving or Irwin. Irvin. Who, Irvin. Ir- Irvin. What, what is this like? Irwin? Irving. Ir- no, you Irving? Irwin? <laughs> Yeah, it's just well, hilarious. To me, he's, to me, he's an opportunist. Totally. I think he's just going up. I mean, this is a guy. This is a guy <laughs> who literally backed two years ago Black Lives Matter movement. Yes. And now you see those TV commercials. I believe all lives matter in big <laughs> letters in his TV commercials. Yeah. Big letters. And I said, no, two years ago, you were saying something different. Yeah. 
Now, I'm not going to say anything about Black Lives Matter movement and those the people who ran it, who brought all those expensive homes. Oh, you've and, been following that story out of California. Okay. Oh, I have been following that story a lot. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, you, for a guy who's not going to say anything about it, you've already said something about it. Yeah. So oh. finish your thought. You might as well go finish your thought. Don't worry what about it. What a con it. job. I mean, they're, 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 it was run by a bunch of con artists. They've been still con artists. Yeah. And, and, and then here's the thing. There were people who believed in it and really worked hard. They really worked hard. And now they're like, what happened? You know, we were bamboozled. I want to know all the people who gave them money. Can he, can he sue to get their money back? They got money from a lot of corporations. I was like, if I run a corporation and donated money, I said, I want it back. I didn't give you money to buy four homes in California and a $6 million house in Canada. I didn't give you money for that. I gave you money because I said you were doing good work. Yeah. Important, important work. Uh, I want my money back. You mean you got to sell back some of those houses? Okay, fine. I want my money back. Now, talking about Irvin, Irwin, let me get to him, uh, go back to him in, uh, for a second. Um, there's another thing. It's like the safe Negro, as I call them. Um, hey, look, folks, here's a black guy who doesn't scare you. Because he says the things you say. He's safe. Right. Um, I don't think he's got a shot. Yeah, I know he's getting money from Ken Griffin. I know Ken Griffin is the money guy behind him. You know, don't forget, Ken Griffin is the guy who spent $90 million to buy a painting from uh, of uh, Paul Basquiat. That's the kind of money Ken Griffin has. $90 million. And anybody who collects art will tell you all art is overpriced. All art is overpriced, Absolutely. no matter who did it. It's all, it's all overpriced. And, um, uh, Absolutely. Uh, but he's going up against Pritzker. Pritzker, to me, I think has done a, a good job. I think Pritzker has done an excellent job at times as governor. He sure held, he sure held a lot better than Rauner um, by a mile. No, by 100 miles. And I think Pritzker pretty much has it in the bag. I think he's got it. Well, nothing is ever in the bag. I just want to urge. Well, I, I, I don't think. Um, Nothing's in the bag. Nothing. Well, here's the thing. I don't. Is there any kind of real discontent with him? I haven't heard it. Uh, listen, I, 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 I learned my lesson in 2016, Sergio. I learned my lesson. And I was like. Are oh, talking about Pat Quinn? Quinn? No, I'm talking about Donnie Trump, 2016. Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about Quinn. Okay. Uh, and no, Pat Quinn, 2014, when he lost, there's a lot of reasons. I oh, it was 14 that. when he lost. Yeah, oh he God. lost in 2004. I know, so time flies. By the way, he's thinking of running for mayor. Yeah, uh, I, heard, I read yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, it's okay. We're good. We're, <laughs> we're um, it just lets everybody run. Paul Vallis is running. Uh I, what, what, he can't get nothing to do. His <laughs> wife told him get out the house, do something. Val <laughs> oh, is running again. Jeez. You gotta be kidding me. What Where's he getting the money thing. from? Who's putting up the money for Val's? I don't know. I've I've not seen any expenditures. So that's not a good idea. bet. I I mean I don't know how much money do you need to write a press release and get the Sun Times to cover it. I don't think it takes a lot of money. So so far there hasn't been a huge amount of expenditure. And again, I will just repeat this to everybody. Um, the, Look, I think Chicagoans may have learned this in 2019. It takes Chicagoans a long time to learn something. I've learned this about Chicagoans, but we have a runoff system for mayor. 
So really, nobody's, we all know no one's going to get more than 50% of the vote. Very unlikely that any candidate will get more than 50% of the vote. So all you got to do is make the runoff. So if you're Paul Vallis, you realize that the last time I believe was around 14, 13%, something like that, 14 to 15%, something like that is what uh, Preckwinkle and uh, Lightfoot got in round one. Think about that, uh, Sergio. That's all you need. That's what you're thinking. That's all I need. And I, if I just identify every single voter I have in the city of Chicago that likes me for, for whatever reason, from way back when, when I was running the schools or what have you, and I get them to come out, I could get that 14 to 15% and make the runoff. And then it's a whole new ballgame. Then money will come in. That's kind of what the, the, the logic is. That's, gov- that's the logic that will govern Rod uh, Sawyer, uh, Willie Wilson, uh, whoever else, Ray Lowe, Ray Lowe, Raymond Lopez. So uh, w- w- when you reduce it to that, it's like, oh, okay, I can see why Vallis thinks he has a chance. I absolutely, um, I'm not saying he's going to make it, but I can see why uh, he, he feels that way. You get what I'm saying? All I got to do is make the runoff. Uh, the other thing is, uh, two things, is that um, I haven't really been following the race to uh, for um, for um, um, oh gosh, the, uh, for the Congress. Um, well, first congressional district. That's your district. Yeah, that's my district, right? Your Bobby Rush is uh, Bobby Rush. retired, right. and uh, I, Jonathan Jackson. That's all you need to know. That's the thing, Jonathan Jackson. That's what I want to mention. Yes. Just to show you how how the mighty have fallen. Maybe back in the day, that was enough for him to win. The next. Yes. That was enough. But the Jackson name doesn't have that kind of anywhere, nowhere near that kind of clout or prestige anymore. Uh, so I don't see him making any significant headway in that way. He got like 14 people running. Yeah. I, I uh, forget how many people are running. Maybe more than 14. Oh, my God. Uh, I can't keep up. Now, here's the, this is the thing about a congressional primary, ladies and gentlemen. Just, you know, the distinction between a congressional primary and a Chicago mayoral election. A Chicago mayoral election is a runoff system. So if nobody gets more than 50 percent of the vote, there's a runoff of the top two vote getters. In a congressional primary, the top vote getter is the candidate. Mm-hmm. And the top vote getter will be in Congress for the next 20 years and uh, or how many years he or she wants. So that's why, uh, Sergio, when there's a vacancy, when somebody announces he or she's not running for reelection, in the case, Bobby Rush, every politician in that district, in that area code with ambitions for a higher office just to get out of Chicago. And can you blame them? Uh, well, well, that's why Pat Dow is running. Yeah, who probably is going to win only just simply because of name recognition. I disagree with you. Who do you think? I, I, I think Jonathan Jackson will be the uh, the victorious candidate. We'll make our famous bet. Really? I don't, uh, I don't, I'm going to be over COVID. We're going to the pancake house, and Monroe is going to join us, and I will enjoy the pancakes that you buy. Yes, it'll be Jonathan Jackson. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jonathan Jackson will be true. I believe the Jackson name. I disagree with you. I think that Jackson name still means something in the city of Chicago. I know. I know because I'm old and Jesse Lewis Jackson means something to me. Okay. I remember everything about his career. Not to to younger people. He does. does. Who votes in primaries? Old fogies like me. Even even older people. Look, I, I think after what happened with Jesse Jr., Triple J, 
I think after that whole mess, I think people, even older folks, I think they finally just got sovereign on the Jacksons. Well, you know, if you're right, I got to buy you the pancakes. Uh, wait, <laughs> so we went on a, a tangent. I want you to finish your thought about uh, uh, you had a great thought. It go quote, safe Negro theory. Oh, and, uh, yeah, 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 figure finish your safety. I'm watching it with Herschel Walker. Uh, I've just there's two Republicans, uh, uh, black men who are running in the Republican Party. The guy named Max Solomon is also running. Uh, and uh, is that the so, guy in Texas? I know there's a black Republican running in Texas. I just read about him recently. Uh, um, not statewide, as far as I know. No, Abbott, no, I yeah, uh, Abbott. That's a showdown race. Abbott versus Beto O'Rourke. All right, but let's stay focused. So, uh, finish your theory. Uh, what, like, what is it about the "quote unquote" safe Negro that white people want to vote for them? Go ahead. Right, because you can show you're not racist, but at the same time, they're not threatening. They're not going to change anything. They're not going to change. They're not going to challenge the status quo. They're not. They're. They're going to be very acquiescent. They're not going to make charges about racism or about, um, cultural, you know, uh, 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 race theory, or they may even talk about the Great Replacement. Um, they're safe. You know, and you can vote for these people and say, I'm not a racist. I vote for that black guy. That's what happened with the woman who ran in. Um, she lost. But the woman who ran in. Um, gee, I can't remember now what state. Uh, this black woman who ran on a Republican ticket, she lost badly. And there was an article in the New York Times. And there were people who said, I'm voting for that black lady. I can't remember her name. But I'm voting for that black lady. Because she was saying what MAGA people are saying, but she was a black woman. You know, she was nuts and she lost badly. She lost very badly. And then, of course, she went out and she attacked Trump. By the way, did you hear that Herschel Walker has attacked Trump? He called him a liar. Did you hear it? Read about it. No, how did I miss that? Herschel Walker called Donald Trump a liar? Yeah, because he is mad because Donald, uh, Donald Trump has been taking credit saying that he encouraged him to run and Walker said, he's a liar. That's a direct quote. He's a liar. God told me to run, not Trump. Wow. So he's not happy with Trump. Now I wonder (laughs) what Trump said when he, when he got the news, probably some racial epithets. I'm not sure. Um, But that's interesting. I'm looking this up right now. I don't usually do this on a show, but I, yeah, uh, uh, oh, yes. Uh, so, I think it happened Monday. Yeah, I, mean, I somehow missed this. Uh, GOP candidate Herschel Walker wants his, son to le- wants his son to learn black history and reveals why he's mad at Trump. You're absolutely correct. He said it was God who told him to run. God told him to run. Wow. That, that, that I'm not even sure what to say, uh, Sergio. Every now and then I'm caught off guard. Uh that pretty much they're probably thinking, hey, wait a minute. He he's he's leaving the plantation. What 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 is he what what is this? <laughs> oh god. 
Are you on a roll today? He's leaving the plantation. Yeah, I said, did, 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 didn't you tell us that he was safe? Didn't you tell us that, you know, he loved Massa? Did, did, did he just tell us that? He loved Massa? Now he, he, he's running off. What What is this? Isn't that what we, isn't that what we signed up for? Well, um, I, I think. love helped on him. Oh, my goodness. Uh, and, and, and poor God. God's like, why are you dragging me into this? <laughs> like, I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, well, I think that's pretty much seals uh, it for uh, Herschel Walker. If he has a fight with Trump, although knowing Trump, he may forgive him for that. Okay, sorry. He, he can't win against Warnock. Forget it. It's going to be nope. again. I I caution all Dems. Don't get that. Cocky, arrogant feeling. It's, I know. I understand what you. I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I understand what you're you saying. You can't get arrogant. You can't fall asleep. You can't stay at home. And then uh, you, see, yeah. you can't compare with Trump because, as I said before, in 2016, Trump was run, running against the worst candidate the Democrats could have picked for 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 uh, president. Yeah, the worst. You uh, know, they picked someone. Yeah who I don't care. She's not liked. She can't read a speech. She can't tell a joke. And the only reason she's running is because it was her turn. Yeah. That's really the only reason why she ran. The reason she ran is finally it's my turn. That's not enough for you to run. Yeah. No, I'm, I let's not, I don't want to relate it again. 2016 is still, yeah, and I don't want to either. We got you're, to move you're absolutely uh, correct. Which brings right, me a question. I'm thinking what, who did the Democrats have in 2024? Well, aren't you working from the assumption that Joe Biden is going to run for re-election? No, I don't think so. I think he's too old. I think he's going to drop out. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, he can't. Well, everybody. It'll be like the first congressional district race. It'll be like 2019. You forget. You used to come into the studio and we go through all I, the I, I expect him next year to announce he's not running for re-election. Wow. He'll wait till I, next year. He, there's no way he can run again. I wish Monroe were here right now. I would love to hear what his reaction to that one. I'm going to write that I down. Get, poor guys probably eating lunch uh all right i wrote that down i'm gonna hold you to that one and um i I will clearly if that were the case you know as well as i uh do and i know you you're gonna laugh because um sergio has never been a fan of vice president harris but (laughs) he has back in the summer of 2019 he would come into the studio when we used to have a studio oh my god he would be trashing her left and right uh all right let's talk casino you said you wanted to discuss the casino uh city of chicago stuff and um oh god my beloved city of chicago you are weird uh, yeah, the city council just voted for a casino. You would have think they watch them pat themselves on the back. They did something significant as as opposed to set up a situation where they're just going to squeeze suckers and saps uh, who should know better and don't know better. Uh, anyway, uh, take it away, uh, Sergio. I know you've seen a lot of gambling movies, at least in the movies. They show there's a consequence uh, for having a gambling addiction. Uh, apparently in the city of Chicago, they haven't learned that. Uh, but uh, take it away. Your general thoughts about Chicago. No, it's, I'm not happy about this. I know how long they've been trying to get a casino in Chicago, at least over a decade, mm. maybe longer. This goes back to the 80s. 80s, right. Yeah. One at a casino. I'm sure there was a lot of money that was passed under the table. <laughs> and um, 
And finally, you get your nice casino. And the thing, one thing that pisses me off is that they've been selling this as a great, this is a great savior of Chicago. And experts and people who study finances said this is not barely make a dent in the city finances. Uh, it's not going to resolve the pension problem, which keeps growing all the time. It, um, I think somebody said, uh, I saw somebody talking about the casino. I think it was on Chicago Tonight. And said, well, they project in five years, the city will make $200 million. $200 million after five years? That's not a lot. That's not a lot of all. Um, and as I said, as you said, this is the, the only people who are really going to be seriously affected are the poor and working class yeah. who are going to spend and lose money they can't afford to lose to, to Bally or whoever yeah. is going to make most of the money. And by the way, your article you had two weeks ago is absolutely right. Don't believe the hype that city's not going to pay for it. How many times how many times have we heard that? Oh my goodness. How many times has the city spent money on some big boondockle which <laughs> we weren't going to spend a cent? Yeah. And of course, we're footing a, a huge chunk of the bill. So, and, and you talked about it, where they're going to build it. I can see it in my mind that area where it's going to be, where the Tribune used yeah. to be printing and all that stuff in that area. And I said, well, who's going to pay for all the construction? Bally's not going to pay for all that. No way. Oh, it's going to be you, the suckers and saps of Chicago, and uh, they haven't even told you how much. We it's all going to, going to pay for yes, this thing, one way or another. Absolutely, and they're going to tell you it's for infrastructure, and that they're going to think that's what's going to uh, assuage you. Oh, infrastructure! They I'm really. By think, the way, you talk yeah. about infrastructure. Let me yeah. tell you something. Anybody out there, you got to do something about these potholes. Oh my! <laughs> it is ridiculous. And talking about in Hyde Park, I'm telling you know I there, there's a there's a a, 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 a thing called um, a Facebook page. It's one of these members only. You got to be invited to join. It's called Hyde Park Classics. It's people who live in Hyde Park, and we mention you know we talk about the things happening in Hyde Park. What's going on? Like yesterday, there was a helicopter that was hovering. So like, what is going on for at least an hour and a half? There was a helicopter hovering like near me. And I was like, what's going on? So I went to the Pride Park classes. Hey, what is that helicopter hovering <laughs> over, like, sounds like over Cottage Grove and 60? And so we responded, oh, a policeman was shot in Inglewood. And they took him to the USC University Hospital. Mm -hmm. And that's where the helicopter was there. Either a police helicopter was a TV helicopter. See, but that's the, the great thing about, you know, being a member of this group, right? So a week ago, I posted, it's in my imagination or potholes in High Park, the worst I've ever seen. Is there any neighborhood that it's just as bad? And most people said, no, it's like the city. Yeah, citywide. Said, you, you just go around anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I drive all over the city. It's citywide. It's citywide. And uh, and this is what um, uh, I shouldn't say the word infuriates, but this is what I find so irritating about the casino plan. So the casino plan, like Lincoln Yards, requires a tremendous amount of build out work to prepare for 
in one case, Lincoln Yards, in the other case, the casino. So that means lights, sidewalks, new streets, uh, up, upgrades of all kinds, getting rid of toxin waste, toxic waste, build, rebuilding bridges. And the city's justification for this is it's not investing, giving the money to the casino or Lincoln Yards. This is simply doing infrastructure work that is required to make our city uh, healthy for development. To which I always go, what about the rest of the city? Who decided that this little corner of Chicago would get the vast majority so much money of infrastructure, infrastructure repairs? Particularly if you drive anywhere in the city and all it is is a giant pothole. And Sergio, the answer is the mayor has decided. And so what we tolerate in the city of Chicago is three years of potholes and then they start filling them up like within six months before an election. So you're yeah. going to see the potholes get filled. I saw it happen with Rom in 2015. I saw the same thing happened with Rom. It was a giant pothole. And then the summer before the election, that's when the potholes started filling. So that's when your potholes be. But just so you know, it's not just Hyde Park. You come on the north side, it's the same thing. I haven't gone anywhere in the last 10 days at least because of COVID. But my car, my poor tires have been, oh, God, they're. Yeah, because I'm afraid one of these days I'm going to hit something and it's going to be trouble. Yeah, you know so that, I have to go out later today, um, and I, it, I just hate being almost on edge because you got to look ahead, but you got to look down at the street, and you got to look ahead and look, and sometimes you got to memorize it. It's like certain streets. Okay, I know there's a really big one there. Okay, I got to swerve around that one. Okay, I, you know, you, you always have to go by memory because yeah. where these holes are. And, I, and you're wasting money. Cities are going to be wasting money to, for what is the infrastructure for this new casino when if you can just fill up the potholes in the city. How about even better just put it in new streets? All right. uh, Let's uh, shift gears and get into some movies. Uh, I cannot allow Sergio Mims to be in the show to to do those movies like no one else I've ever met. Uh, And we had a guest on yesterday uh, who was, I think I told you this uh, when we were on the phone yesterday, um, really critical of Top Gun. Mm-hmm. And says that Top Gun uh, is, is a, sends out a militaristic message uh, that is so inappropriate for our time. We should re- th- rethink about uh, movies like Top Gun. Uh, and I have not seen, actually did not see the original Top Gun. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, uh, Sergio. And I've not seen the, the second one. You've seen both. Uh, your general thoughts about Top Gun and the contribution it makes to American culture. Well, it is a jingo, it's a jingoistic military film, just like the first one was. And very much so. This movie plays on themes and ideas and characters from the first movie, except it's dumber. It gets really kind of ridiculous towards the last third of the film. You go like, oh, brother, now what trouble he's in? Oh, brother, now what? Oh, really? That's that's really possible? Plausible? Um yeah, I mean, the fact it's making so much money. And I think one of the reasons why it's making so much money was the nostalgia factor. And I think people are just happy. First of all, people are just happy to go back to movie theaters. I think they want to go see something they wanted to see. Actually, the, 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 the big story 
that's kind of underreported is this Michelle Yeoh film, Everything Always at Once. It's the biggest grossing film that A24 has had in its history. Biggest grossing film. And what makes that important is that this is a small, medium-budgeted film. And people are coming to movie theaters to see it. I mean, it's not available on streaming. Uh, you got to go to the movie theaters to go see it. And people are coming to movie theaters to see a film like this. And I go like, yeah, people want to go back to see the movies. They really do. Well, I, I, I want to I follow up on that. Uh, we talked about this earlier, but it's been a while since it's been on the show. I wish I, we could have done a whole segment on this. Uh, my wife and I went to see it. Uh, I did not get COVID that day at the movie theater, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and that's the last movie we saw. Um, and I, I, I went, I was completely, uh, how do I, I was off. I had no idea what the movie was about. I thought it was like a family movie. Uh, I thought yeah. it was a classic baby boomer flick that would appeal, you know, like a, uh, like a, a snarky comedy type thing based on the preview. That's what I thought. So I'm sitting there in a the movie theater in Skokie. That's where we went to, we went to the movie. Th- I like that movie theater they have in Skokie. And, um, I, when I first walked in, it was just a, like a handful of baby boomers in there. I go, oh, yeah, this is a typical baby boomer movie. And then as the movie, we got closer to the showtime, and then after showtime, the Zs started coming in. Not, not just millennials, but Zs. They were coming in like crazy. You know, Zs don't mess around. They, like, come after a movie starts. That's something I'm not – the Z generation, you guys are kind of weird. You're, like, coming in. And, like, all these Zs are walking in. The movie's already started. I'm like – are you kidding? I'm Woody Allen. I go, I'm leaving. You know, I cannot see a movie after it starts. Not disease. They're walking in. I think what it was, they, the movie like had been emptying out and it was a multi-screen theater. So they're like, oh man, let's go see this movie now. You know, that game, sir, yeah, you right. probably played it back in the day yourself. And yeah, it's not good. And pretty soon, Sergio, I'm not kidding. This, pl- this theater was at least half filled and it was all younger people. And that's yeah. when I said, God bless this movie because it's bringing in the young crowd. So it's one thing to get baby boomers to go back to a movie because this is what we know. This is what we've done. This is what we do. But, Sergio, it's a big deal when you can get a 19-year-old, a 20-year-old to go see a movie, whether they're paying for it or not. So I think that's part of its big success. Is that what the, uh, the, the research is showing? Yeah, I um, you know you can you can never predict what people go see and what they won't see. Um, yeah, sure, you can boost up a movie and make people excited to see it, but will the audience still come after that initial first excitement for it? Will it just drop off? And in the case of um, the Michelle Yeoh film, people are loving that picture. What do you they, think they, about it? I like it. I think it's kind of overrated for me. I think it's, I, I think it's, um, it's um, too clever by half, if you know what I mean. Um, but, yeah, I enjoyed it. You know, I, I did. Um, <laughs> I liked it a lot better than that Top Gun Maverick, I tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know who this person you had how old that person was who didn't like the movie. Um, but I wanted to ask them, how many military films have you seen? A lot of films about a military are jingoistic, rah-rah movies. Yeah. I mean, this is not new. You know, the fact that he's, or he or she, whoever this person was, he, he 
was um, felt this way about the movie. I'm like, where have you been? You, well, you me, he hasn't even seen the movie. He's just expressing. Uh, oh, well, then forget uh, it then. Yeah. Forget I, it. I, well, then, you know, I was going to say, well, forget <laughs> it. What, what, I mean, what about what about military films in the 1950s or the 40s or the 60s mm-hmm. or the 70s? What about movies made during World War II where you also had that hint of racism? In, in hint, hint. Well, okay. It was more like a foghorn. Yeah. Okay. True. Uh, that, that, was, that, that was true. I uh, kind of misspoke. Right. Hint of racism. Right. Uh, it, um, unbelievable. Breakfast at Tiffany's. You know, I watched. No, I'm just talking about war films. That's I know what you're talking about, but I just think a, a hint of racism of the Mickey Rooney character in Breakfast at Tiffany just blows my mind. Uh, whatever. By the way, a character actor in um, uh, Everything Almost at Once, uh, the father was from was in Chinatown. And I when I, I told you, ladies and gentlemen, that was not scripted. Who, he who, did not. Yeah. Who go. like two weeks ago got his star on a Hollywood Walk of Fame? Is that right? Yeah. Wow, that's good. He earned it. He's in his 90s? Yeah. He's been in like 300 movies or something like that. And he got a star He got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And the people who paid for it were other Asian actors, Asian-American actors, who paid for it. Because to get a star on Hollywood, you got to pay $70,000. You mean, I could have a star on the Hollywood <laughs> Walk of Fame if I wanted to pay $70,000. Yeah. Wow. But they said that this guy's a pioneer. We would not be in the business if it wasn't for him. He broke a lot of ground. So they put together $70,000 so they could buy him a star. Mm. Uh, all right. Uh, we are almost out of time, so I'm going to close it down with two questions for you. The first question is, what is the movie right now out there that you urge people they absolutely must see? Uh, and uh, it could either be streaming or in the theater. So go ahead. Um, take a look at Operation Mincemeat oh, on Netflix. Yeah, which has been done before. Yes, but it, it, there was a movie because I got it on DVD. It was a movie called The Man Who Never Was. Yes, very. And yes. I have it on DVD. Nineteen okay? fifties, I want to say. Yes, 56, The Man yes. Who Never Was, and this is. Um, once again, I think kind of historically inaccurate considering considering what happens in the movie, but it's a fascinating story about how the the British convinced the Germans that they weren't going to launch an attack and an offense of Italy from Sicily Mm -hmm. and how they did it was by taking a dead body of a man, dressing him up as a military officer, putting in fake plans in his briefcase and put the body like off the coast of Portugal and hope that the Germans would find it and believe it. Yeah. It's a far fetched. It's a true story. Yeah. No, it's- I listen, it's based on a book by Ben McIntyre. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I ever shared this with you, uh, Sergio, mini obsession with S, uh, world war two espionage. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you, uh, the, the book, Ben McIntyre is a British journalist who specializes this in, in this genre. Uh, and so I obsessively read the book and I saw that it came out. So I'm happy to hear it. It's a well-made movie. It's it. Oh yeah. Very well. Made. Yeah. yeah. Operation, operation, which was, the, which is what, what, what they called, called the operation. They had to give it a code word. Yes. And, and that same thing with two was uh, the man who never was. There's a scene where they said, we're going to call this. Let's call it mincemeat. And this movie just takes the mincemeat and Colin first, it's very good, even though there's a love story in there that 
So unnecessary. So unnecessary. It's really really corny. It really is corny. But here's the interesting thing about the movie, real fast. Ian Fleming, the guy who was in Bond books, was part of this plan. That is correct. And there's a scene in the movie which makes me laugh where um, uh, they go to see this guy who specializes in in making up, um, you know, um, inventions, you know. And so the character Ian Fleming, you know, he's a naval officer. He's looking around and he picks up a watch. He said, what's this watch? He says, oh, if you turn the button, a buzzsaw comes out. So if you're tied, you can cut the ropes. And he turns it up, you know, and the little buzzsaw comes out, and he's like, I think it could be used for a novel one day. (laughs) No, uh, absolutely. Uh, There were a lot of great characters who worked for British espionage in World War II. Uh, Ian Fleming, one of them, the novelist who wrote the James Bond books. And, uh, yeah, and they were part of the creative process. Fa- this is a great story. I'm glad you gave the two thumbs up to the, the movie because I love the book. So I'm definitely uh, going to uh, watch that one probably tomorrow because there's no basketball game. Uh, and then the other uh, question I have for you is something that a, um, a listener uh, sent to me and asked me to ask you this next time you're on the show. And I don't know if I've asked you this yet. I've been uh, negligent. They asked you to ask me about it? Okay, yes. Okay. Um, best movie, in your humble opinion, that is set in Chicago? We could do a whole show on this, by the way, but uh, you could do a whole show on this. But uh, this question I've been meaning to ask the you. The first before. movie that comes to mind, mm-hmm. because you could probably, I can think of others too. First thing that comes to mind is Haskell Rexler's Medium Cool. Yeah. We should do a whole show on Haskell Wexler. I mean, what do you think? Just talk a little bit about it. Uh, give folks. Well, Haskell was it's uh, who I met two years before he passed away. He was a wonderful person. One of the great, great cinematographers, really great. Cinematographers. But this is a movie he directed, which he shot during the summer of 1968. And it's about a reporter. Essentially, it's a, it's a romance. It's essentially about a reporter who meets a woman who I believe is from the it's from Appalachia who's moved to Chicago, but it's during this time of the 1968 Chicago convention, which becomes part of the story. And there's one scene in the movie where they're shooting the riots, you know, what are happening. And you can hear it. Haskell was, Wexler was shooting it. And you can hear one of sister Karen yelling out, look at Haskell. It's for real. (laughs) Yeah. It's 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 a movie of its time, of a particular time in a particular place, and I remember sitting in front of the TV, cross leg in front of the TV, watching the riots and not really understanding what the hell was going on. Yeah. He yeah. said, "Why? What? Why are the police beating up these people in the park? What did they do?" Uh, yeah, man, could uh, I? Uh, you were doing that in Hyde Park, and I was doing the same thing in Evanston. Going, what is going on here? What is going you know, on? What is well, going Mayor on? Daily, you know, issued the issue to shoot to kill. Well, that was during uh, the riots after. Uh, it was after King before. Was, no, it was Martin Luther King was killed in April of 1968, and uh, that was before okay. the West Side erupted, and Daly said, "Shoot to kill." All right, uh, and here we go. Watch this, ladies and gentlemen. Watch this. Watch. Watch how Sergio handles this trivia. I'm throwing out. Okay. Not. It's total improv, and he's not looking at his phone. 
Mm-hmm. All right. What does Medium Cool have in common with the greatest uh, Quentin Tarantino ever movie ever made? Robert Forrester. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know the greatest Quentin Tarantino movie ever made was Jackie Brown. There's no question about that. Uh, and a uh, shout out uh, to the great Pam Greer. I love you. One day, um, uh, Serge and I will do a whole show about our love for uh, Pam Greer about the time he trash talked me. Trash talk me, ladies. Yeah, Mr. Nice Guy, Sergio. Trash talk because he got to meet her and I didn't. And still kind of a sore subject with me that I didn't get to meet her. Sergio got to hang out with Pam Greer. Uh, but yes, a much younger Robert Forster, don't you know? Right? Looks the same, but I believe Medium Cool was made in 68 and Jackie Brown yes, was made in 97. So it's 30 years later, right? Yeah. yeah and the thing is that. Um, Medium Cool, when it came out, got an X rating. I don't know why now. Got an X rating. At the time when, you know, they had X ratings and, and that kind of thing. It got an X rating for the MPAA. Wow, that's weird. Right. It, there's nothing X about it. I saw it not about two years ago. I rewatched it. and there's, Yeah. Now you got me one. Uh, I'll probably uh, rent that from Netflix. Uh, all right, Sergio, thank you very much. Uh, Sergio Mims, head of the uh, Black Harvest Film Festival, dear friend of the show. Uh, we're going to have to bring you on with Monroe so uh, he can hear. Yeah, I can call him. I'm going to see how he's I'm going to call him right now and find out how he's going to be running Sawyer's campaign. Yeah, he's going to be running Sawyer's campaign. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Sergio. He's going to call uh, Monroe. And uh, I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, Pride of Joy of Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And as Sergio will tell you back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for the marvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. 